But you can hear me, right? Music, good. Okay, so you could hear the music? Let me try it again. I'll just play it because it's short. Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications. So how am I getting some people to say they can't? All right. I'm getting thumbs up. Yep, and me. No music, but still you. How is that possible? Some people are getting music. Like Rob says he can hear me at the music, but Scott says he can't. Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications. Headphones you can test on the mixer output. If you get audio that way, I can solve the issue on Team Viewer. 
information just sent. Okay, Chance, yeah, I, I just sent it to you on Facebook Messenger. So if you want to poke around um, and see what I'm doing wrong, it's a matter of which jacks. Like I've got two, two um, jacks here I have to plug in. The problem is I got to get them in the right order, and I never remember which way is supposed to be. Remote con control producer. Yes, Rob, that is absolutely true. Um, so, team viewer. So, I'm gonna let. Um, hey, Fred. Nice to see you. There's uh, Fred. I haven't seen talked to him for a while. So we're just doing a, a quick test. I'm letting um, Chance take over my computer for a moment and see what we what we can do to make this work. Um, masking tape on wires for next time. Yes. Well, it, yeah. What I should do is just write down on a piece of paper what goes where. But they're both black cords, and they both look the same. So I'm, i i got to come up with a better system. There's absolutely no doubt of that because this is ridiculous. Can you test with it with the headphone, the cable that you run to the computer? Can you test with headphones instead? I don't think so. Because the headphone jack is completely different than the cables we run to the laptop. So, no. The short answer is no. All right. Uh, you think? Yeah, I do think. I don't think very often, but this time I think. Uh, speaking of which, I should think about that right now. And You know, it's funny because it's just a matter of which there's a short and a long cable. If I just figure it out and write it down on the back of this piece of paper, which I have ever with me every week. Now, just for those quarter inch, probably. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's quarter inch. Uh, just for those of you who have tuned in. Hi, Shirley. Um, on, later on on tonight's show, when we get actually get to it, uh, we'll be talking about Trump's speech. We'll be talking about people who think it's okay to poop on other people's lawns. Uh, let's see. Penalties for distracted driving. Uh, Trudeau wants to to get a seat of the UN uh, Council uh, Security Council uh, let's see oh I'm doing it to him sorry Plasco is back in the news I don't know why but they are the conservatives are, are uh, just somebody should grow a spine Toys R Us going out of business another true story oh I got that twice um, so it just, there's all kinds of stuff out there that we'll be talking about tonight alright so uh, let's see, quarter inch converter compatible. Yeah, I'll, I'll, that's probably a good idea, Chance. I'll probably do that is to um, get it. Um, I will mail you one. <laughs> I think I'll just go and get one. I think that's what I'll do. Uh, but thank you for that, Rob. Okay, so, doggone it. All right, shall we try this uh, one more time, Chance? And just because what I'm going to do first is wait until Chance does his thing. That's what I'm going to do. Configure microphone, microphone, plugged in microphone. I don't think it's the headset that's the problem, unless you're talking about the microphone on the laptop. I think that's what he's talking about. Yeah, that's the one you want enabled because this one, the one I'm wearing, is for the online show. 
see see what you what what you what you get when you listen to the Nick and Knight's uh, pregame show. <laughs> All the technical background stuff that goes into running a show like this. And I'll tell you what, it has been an interesting um, an interesting experience. I was hoping I'd have all these issues solved with a new laptop, but now, of course, and I have a new one. So now it's just a matter of uh, of um, making the technical adjustments to make this work. My wife is telling me she's leaving me, uh, handing over my car keys. I don't even know why. It's all good. I'll see you again. I mean, this isn't the end. You're not no, waving no, goodbye. I'm, I'm just going to get something ready. Okay. You're safe, <laughs> I thought my wife was leaving me. You just froze chance stealing bandwidth. Good cause. <laughs> Rob, you're no help. <laughs> I take that back. What am I doing? What am I? Why? Chance, I'm really trying to leave things alone. Really, I am. All right. Resume. Okay. Chance, do you think we should end the uh, test? Instead of making people just go through this? Temptation to reach over and take the mouse is really strong. It'll be interesting to hear what you guys have to say about the Trump speech. I think that was one of the most uh, interesting speeches I've heard out of the UN in a long time. So we'll have a little conversation about that. I've got the theme song stuck in my head. All right. That's actually not a bad thing.
tweaking things here. Kenneth is working like a fiend trying to get everything ready before airtime. Hello, Joel. Yes, once in a while I whistle. Don't do it very well. Reminds me of an old Loretta Lynn commercial. Some people like my singing more than like my pies more than they like my singing. <laughs> I was one of them. Never did like the way she sang. Is that the same Dan Mazur who's from Golden Lake? Twice. Yeah, I know. And there's a bit of a lag, too. Hang on, buddy. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? playing with these uh, plugins here. Doing commercials for, for Verizon. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, what am I laughing at? Alright. Curious with two microphones. That's what it is. So how do we fix that? Where is the other mic? Back here. Okay, we will disable the inferior one. Gee, which one could that be? This one or that one? Let's hear the music. Good idea. All right, let's try that. Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications. for you guys to be able to hear the music. All right. Did anybody hear the music? Do, do, do. Stop playing with his mouse. Hey, Stephanie.
Getting more of an echo now. Nope, no music. Okay. Damn it. There's something I'm just not doing right here. All right, let's try and check a few things. Should be up. All right, let's try it one more time. Nick at Night is a production of Council Sorry, Communications. No music. Yeah, I know, we're working on that now. Just like I said, the reason why it's important for the audio's been there for there now. So that's good. Echo went away. Okay, good. Now the question is can you guys hear me and the music? You're good. See a couple of buttons and a couple of switches, knowing how to plug it in. So the long cord goes to the back seat. Okay, uh, Rob, you know how? Do you know how to do this, Rob? To uh, call off Facebook, go to my name on Facebook um, uh, in your messenger and click on the phone icon. And I want to see if we can take a phone call, uh, and you guys can hear it um, over the system here, because I think we can do that. And I'm, it looks like Chance might be done. Get the quarter inch conversion. Coming out of the mixer. Let's try a phone call. When's when you can? Yeah, I'll do that. Chance. Um, I'll I'll grab another quarter inch adapter. But um, or maybe chance if you want to give just try a, a quick call to the a quick call in on Facebook, and let's see if I can take a call because that's been the whole goal all along is to try to be able to take phone calls off of um, uh, Facebook as well as online. So can you give me a quick call? Should not be an issue on computer and sorry I couldn't be more help. No, you were all you were a big help, believe me. Um that worked out pretty I was pretty happy with what, the way that went. So it took a lot of took some time, but that's when you're doing the first setup. Uh so I'm just waiting for somebody to give me a quick call here on Facebook. So uh chance if you can go to um Oh, here we go. Look at that answer. All right. We're just taking a Connect the camera microphone to make a call. What are you talking about? Try restarting your browser and closing it. Okay, it doesn't look like that's going to work uh, because we already have everything open. Um, yeehaw, no echo. I'll try one more time. Yeah, Chance, it's telling me to take it to connect a camera and microphone. If they're already connected, try restarting your browser and closing any other applications that use a camera or mic. So it doesn't sound like that's going to work. I won't waste any more time with it because guess what time it is? It is time to get things rolling. So, excuse me. 
what I'm going to do is uh, start the show because it's that time. All right. Now, that means I got to come over here. That button's already good. I need to go press that. And I need to press the... This time, it's for real, folks. Here we go. Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications. everybody welcome to the nick at night show we've got all kinds of stuff set up for you tonight there are plenty of things to talk about trust me i know because i'm the guy who put it all together uh let's see i just got to send this quick little message here and when i get that done we'll be up and running and away to the races i just got to find the recipient and guess who that is my good tech support guy chance so let me do that and i just got to send him what the when it's um when somebody tries to call, here's what happened. I'm just going to send him what the what the, uh, um, what the computer's telling me when I try to take a phone call off Facebook. All right. So, Chance, if you want to have a look at that, that's great. In the meantime, let's get on with things here. Okay. Now, first of all, I got, you know what, I feel, I really feel for my wife. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, she's a big girl, and she's certainly capable Um <laughs> I don't know why, Chance, but it just isn't working. It tells me that um, connect a camera and a microphone to make a call. If they're already connected, try restarting your browser and closing any other applications that use a camera or mic. I'm not going to do that. Not right now. Uh, so as much as I want to take phone calls, until we get that sorted out, there's not much more I can do about that. Uh, the phone numbers, for those of you who are listening online... Uh, are 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. And that'll work even if you're listening online. You can always call me at those numbers, or listening online, listening on Facebook, and I can take your call online. If you can hear the music, you can hear those calls. So we can do it that way. So anyway, now, uh, what I've been trying to tell... Uh, uh, trying to get started with was the, the um, my wife has been going through uh, uh, cell phone hell for the last few days. Uh, we just upgraded our cell phones, and uh, just because technology does that, and for once you get hooked on technology, you're kind of condemned to trying to stay current with it. And, um, oh, 
okay, well, hang on. Let me see if that, if I can change that because Chance is telling me I can take phone calls, just not video calls. All right. Well, in that case, uh, let's some uh, Chance give me a, give me a shout and I'll see if I can ditch the camera on the phone call and see if that works. Um, all right. Because if I can take phone calls, I'd love to. Um, that's the whole point of doing this is to be able to have you guys join the conversation, right? Uh, so anyway, she's been going through what we call cell phone hell. <laughs> That's the only way I can put it. Cell phone hell um, for the last three days. All right. So here comes. Uh, let's see now. Come on. All right. Okay. So when I answer... can't make a call it's not giving me the option okay try it again uh, we're still working still trying this okay chance it just doesn't give me the option to dump the video part of the call so I don't know what's going on there all right so let me get get into this because I don't I don't want people listening to the technical side of this when we're trying to do the show and it's been a nightmare, uh, as far as she's concerned, trying to get it uh, sorted out. She just came in, and I, I was afraid she was running off and ready to leave me because uh, she was so frustrated with her phone. Uh, I'm just kidding, of course. She just had to go out to the car for a minute. But anyway, um, switching over technologies, uh, you know, from one platform to another is just enough to drive people crazy. And she's been going through it, too. Uh, for, for me, it was relatively seamless, uh, and I upgraded from a Galaxy S4, which I really liked. Um, and now I'm on with a, a Galaxy S7, which is a, an improvement. I won't say it's like going from a rowboat to Starship Enterprise, but it certainly was um, <coughs> something that I thought was um, uh, needed, and there are different things I want to be able to do with it. Um, but at the same time... You know, you, there's only so much you can do with the technology that's available. And they, it, it was something I, I, I just felt it was time to do that. The phone was two and a half or three years old. And um, it just, you know, they, they kind of get a little tired and slow and stuff like that. They kind of ended up feeling like me, you know, old and creaky and, and uh, broke down. So we upgraded and mine went pretty well. Hers, not so much didn't go the way she was hoping that it would. So um, let's get into the show. Uh, okay, let's start with the big story of the week. And that is, of course, Donald Trump down at the UN. Now, there are a lot of people out there who like and or don't like. Nobody ha is bland about Donald Trump. Let me put it to you that way. And I've always said that he'll be better than most people, or uh, uh, he he'll be worse than most people. A lot of people want him think he'll be, but he won't be as bad as a lot of people are afraid of. And so far, that prediction seems to be pretty much bang on. Now, the thing about Trump is that <clears throat> he doesn't care. Like he just put yourself in his shoes. You've got more money than pretty much anybody else in the United States, which is saying something. And he's right up in the Warren Buffett, Gates, um, those kind of guys in their stratosphere when it comes to wealth and, and income and so on. 
I, he, so he doesn't need the money from the presidency. It's not like he's doing it for the money. Now, we would all like to think that, you know, politicians are altruistic. and But the, to be honest, a lot of people get into politics specifically for the pension because it's a pretty darn good pension job. Um, so when I was watching his, uh, watching him as he's uh, been going through his the first, let's say, almost a year now of his presidency, sometimes it's painful. I got to admit, like I think whoever is running his um, his campaign uh, really ought to take a campaign running his uh, public relations office should take away his cell phone and drop it through a shredder because he's the president of the United States. He's not a pop star. And whether or not people like him, I'm just taking my glasses off because they're a glare, uh, puts a glare on the screen. But the, the, the bottom line is you're the president of the United States. You know, you're not Britney Spears. You don't need to be tweeting anything. That's what you have a press secretary for. The only time the president should actually get involved in day-to-day communications is when there's a national crisis or State of the Union or, you know, times when it matters. I think that what happens is when when he gets involved in doing a lot of this um, work for, um, in, involved in all this tweeting, he becomes... I don't want to say common. Um, I don't know. There's just something that strikes me as less than presidential about it. I don't want to like. I'm not. I'm not saying that leaders should be put up on a pedestal, but there should be a degree of separation. In the, in the um, in the British Army during the 1800s, most of your average rank and file soldiers, the privates, the corporals, the sergeants, were illiterate. They a lot of them came from the slums. They were, uh, you know, some of the hardest men alive, but they didn't want people like them leading them. They wanted somebody who was a little more who, who could read. They wanted somebody who was educated. They wanted somebody who knew more than they did leading them because they felt that was their best chances of staying alive. And I think there's a, a certain amount of that that still lingers in today. Um, yeah, Suzanne, you're right. He, she's, uh, Suzanne is saying he's unfiltered, but that's part of the problem sometimes. Yes, I guess that's what I'm saying is there's a time and place for, for talking off the cuff, but not always is it the right time every time. Okay. Like his speech at the United Nations was one of the best speeches is probably the best speech I've ever heard him give. It's probably one of the best speeches ever given at the UN, and the other one that I think that compares to it, if not in length, certainly in quality, is the um, the one that Benjamin Netanyahu gave when he stood there in front of the UN and stared them down in stony, cold silence for at least 45 seconds. I posted that clip for for those of you watching on um, on Facebook. Uh, who followed me on Facebook, I posted that clip of Benjamin Netanyahu standing there glaring at the world. You know, there's 193 countries, I think, in the within the UN. And he just literally stared them into the ground and never said a word. It was one of those powerful moments I can remember. So when Trump goes in there 
and he, he lays it on the line about North Korea. Now, when he says he has to destroy, he, he when a lot of the talk by the pundits in, since the speech, uh, the different eggheads uh, on the left who just hate everything and anything the man has to say no matter what it is, uh, are saying always threatening nuclear war. Well, he's not the one threatening it. He's not the one throwing intercontinental ballistic missiles over Japan. He's not the one threatening Guam. He's not the one talking about, you know, um, these kinds of things. And is is enough of a lunatic to actually think that he could do it. Okay? That's the little grease ball in North Korea. And I love the name Rocket Man. Uh, when, <laughs> when Trump... Called him the Rocket Man. I laughed out loud. Yes, it's childish, but you know what? So is the guy he stuck it to. So I think it's an appropriate nickname for him. With that, so when he's out there and he's calling uh, uh, the little grease ball uh, Rocket Man, it, it was I thought it was an appropriate little slap in the back of the head. And if you listen to carefully, and I, that's something else, another... Um, thing I'm working on is to try to be able to um, mention uh, or play clips on the show here because I'm, I'm a bit of a disadvantage. I have to tell you what was said. And I tr- that's why I try to post whatever I can on Facebook so that you can, you'll know what I'm referring to. But uh, when you listen to the speech, you'll find out that Donald Trump didn't threaten nuclear war. He said, if we are attacked. If our allies are attacked and we are forced to, we will completely destroy North Korea. Now, that's a pretty broad statement, and most people think he meant everything and everybody completely destroy North Korea. If you take it on the surface, it sounds like he's just going to turn the place into, uh, you know, a parking lot. Well, it's not much more than that now. Okay, if you if you really want to get into it, uh, the bottom line is it just isn't... Um, uh, <clears throat> he just isn't going to turn the place into a glowing, you know, um, Nagasaki times 4,000. He just said we will, because what does that really mean? Is he going to kill everybody in North Korea? Of course not. But it doesn't, what it does mean, at least as I sit and think about it, and listening to some of the pundits who actually know what they're talking about, it means he will completely destroy um, the little rocket man's uh, ability to wage war. Now, there are some problems. Seoul is just too darn close to the border of uh, between North and South Korea. Okay, but there are ways of dealing with that. And I'm referring to the thousands of pieces of artillery that Kim has along that border. There are ways to deal with them. And that's all got to be put into the mix. But understand something that this little grease ball has technology that was really pot was really cutting edge in 1951. But it hasn't been cutting edge since 1951. His submarine fleet is a joke. His fighter aircraft are a joke. His navy is ridiculous. I mean, no matter where you look, the only card he has to play is the nuclear card. Because everything else is just a complete embarrassment. You know, when any any Western country looking at him from a conventional weapons point of view, the guy's a joke. It doesn't matter if he's got two million people under arms. It's just, it, he wouldn't last a day. 
So what he's what what uh, the president really is talking about is the ability to take out his military infrastructure so he no longer poses a threat and probably kill him in the process. So that's what I took that to mean. And, if, if you know, I just don't think that he has to... Well, now, just looking at some of the comments in Facebook here, Stephanie makes a good point. She says, you know, without Twitter, uh, she says, Mr. Trump... Uh, has to use Twitter because the MSM is always distorting his message. So that's um, that's something that uh, needs to be thought of as well. Um, I just had a visit from John Council. Hey, John. <laughs> and now he's running out the door, slamming it behind him. Okay, anyway, so you've got a situation um, where this little rocket man's been put on notice and that if he thinks that Trump doesn't mean it, he's in for a rude awakening. But more than that, one of the things that was in that speech that not enough people paid attention to was the fact that he stood there in front of the world body and said, as the president of the United States, I always put America first, just like you should put. Yeah, that's John's arm. Um, just like you should put. Your people first. He was talking to all the leaders from around the world. He's saying, I'm only doing what you should do in your country. Like, do you think that the president, prime minister of India should put, you know, people from the Philippines first? No. You, the elected leader of any democracy puts his own people first. It's what we would like Prime Minister Trudeau to do. Wouldn't that be a nice, wouldn't that be a change to actually think about old stock Canadians or just Canadians in general instead of everybody else? Man, would that be a good idea. But Trudeau's not interested in that. There's two or three things Trudeau wants to do. He wants a seat at the UN Security Council. I'll get into that a little bit later. He wants more Muslim immigration because it is my belief, and I have no evidence to back this up, but it is my belief he's already converted to Islam. Excuse me. <coughs> So I am – and he wants to take Canada to a symbolic-only country. That's what he means by a post-national country. You've got to understand that when he talks like that, he's talking about doing away with borders. He wants the flag. Now, the flag is symbolic as it is, but it's supposed to be a rallying point. It's not something you have uh, used to, in some kind of convoluted way – that just says, hey, everybody come to Canada. We're a great place. Stop in. It's like going to Motel 6. You know, you don't really got to be Canadian. Just come on in. You see, a nation has things in common that hold it together. History, culture, its society, um, its core values, the flag that represents it. All these things are the, the, the threads that hold that country together. And they've been steadily chipping away at them for 40 or 50 years now. And he's really, you know, it's, it's frustrating to watch because, you know, most people, when you talk about um, their country, they don't want to see it disappear. And yet Trudeau's marching down that. Uh, he's almost at a flat-out run. And it's why he's so enamored with the United Nations. Because guess what the United Nations wants? The same thing Trudeau wants. He wa they want to run the whole show. 
they don't want interference from member states when it comes to uh yeah i know uh when it comes to uh, i was just talking about susan she said he took communion from the archbishop of montreal well you know what um he's gonna have to answer for that someday and that's one way or the other that's not my circus not my monkeys if i was the archbishop there's no way he would have gotten that but anyway so the un wants to run the whole show it's it's very much like um i go back to the old star wars movie the one where the 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 planet of naboo is being invaded so princess nadala goes to the senate you know, the Interplanetary Federation or whatever the heck they call their version of the UN and pleads with them to come and save her planet from an invasion. So the planet that's doing the invasion objects and says we have to have, um, we have to have, um, uh, what do you call that, a commission, to, a fact-finding commission. Let's go to Naboo and see what's really going on. When they're the ones doing the invading, they know exactly what's going on. It's nothing but obstructionism. They, the, the UN is not interested in what you and I think. You know, they don't care. As long as we march along to their little uh, marching orders and, and play along with their progressive agenda, then they're happy. It's just they take away our freedom in the process, and I'm not interested in playing that game. All right, now, uh, let's see. All that to say that Trump gave one of the best speeches I think I've ever heard out of the UN. Now, his critics, people like Yavid Zarif, who is the, the spokesman for Iran, said Trump's ignorant hate speech belongs in medieval times, not the 21st century. <laughs> Unworthy of a reply, fake empathy for Iranians fools no one. Um, you know, my son had a great comment to this, and he said, Anyone who treats women the way that Iran treats theirs has no business talking to anybody about medieval uh, where thing you know medieval attitudes. And I thought absolutely right. So the Iranians didn't like it, of course. The um, <clears throat> the Venezuelan government didn't like it. Um, the North Koreans stormed right out of the place. But you know what? So what? Trump stood there and he gave a speech. He was blunt. He was forthright. I heard some commentators today calling it gloomy. No, I called it realistic. I wouldn't call that gloomy at all. I would say that's somebody finally holding the UN's feet to the fire and saying, look, guys, he didn't come out. And he, he wasn't as hard-edged about the UN as he has been on the campaign trail. But at the same time, he certainly let them know where, he, where they stood and where he stood. And that was one of the most refreshing things of the whole thing. All right, I got to take a quick break. So you guys hang on. We'll get this out of the way, and then we'll come back with more right after this. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspect distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist. 613-835-2600. 
Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. All right, now, from the brilliantly given to the absolutely asinine, uh, just to change the, change things up a little bit, Colorado Springs is a great little town. I've been there. I actually, uh, when I was a truck driver, I, I spent a week there one night. I'm kidding. That's an old John Denver quote. Uh, some of you might remember it. Some of you probably don't. But anyway, they have a problem. And it is one of the most bizarre problems I think I've ever encountered. And it's why I'm bringing it to your attention. Look, I've, after 15 years in this business, you think you've heard it all. You know, there's all kinds of ridiculous, weird stories out there. People do the most bizarre things. But I don't know if I've ever heard of this one. Let me share this with you. And it really is just plain. I only mention it just because it, you, you got to go, what? And kind of shake your head because this is just, well, I'll, I'll just share it with you. It's not that long a story. Colorado cops are hunting a fecal fiend who dumps and runs on people's lawns, drugstore parking lots, and wherever else the spirit moves her. The city of Colorado Springs has been plagued by the poo pirate for weeks. According to KK, KKTV, the female jogger goes for a run, drops her drawers, and defecates before continuing her run. Investigators believe revenge might be the motive. I'm not sure I would even try to assign, assign motive to that. Uh, let's see. It's not just a natural thing we do in our society to drop your trousers and relieve yourself right there when you know there's people around, one witness told the television station. Among the bon mots from witnesses, as relayed by cops, they're like, there's a lady taking a poop. So I come outside and I'm like, are you serious? Are you really taking a poop right here in front of my kids? She's like, yeah, sorry. Even cops are rolling their eyes. It's abnormal. It's not something I've seen in my career, said Sar uh, Jonathan Sar uh, Sharketti. That's right. For someone to repeatedly do such a thing, it's uncharted territory. Ironically, there are numerous public restrooms to, for the women for the woman dubbed the mad pooper, but that apparently isn't for her. However, the crack crook, the crap crook does bring her own toilet paper. You know, look, we sometimes I, I just almost don't know what to say. But if somebody has a sudden case of diarrhea and, you know, they have no choice, okay, that would be humiliating. It would be thoroughly embarrassing. I get all that. But to do it on a regular basis? That just doesn't make any sense to me. So 
I just thought I'd throw that in there for you to roll your eyes at and just, you know, it's under the category of what is the world coming to? Because I don't have an answer. I don't know what the heck was going through somebody's mind when they actually thought it was a good idea to take a dump on a lawn. Never mind where. I mean, Colorado Springs is unfortunately the target of this, and it's a great little town. A little, I say, not a bad size town, actually. Uh, so I just, I can't, I, I just have nothing. What do you, what do you say to that? Um, maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she needs a colostomy. <laughs> <Kale pectate>, yeah, maybe. <laughs> or a pair of depends. I just can't figure it, figure it out. It's just not something I could, I could ever see myself doing. That's for sure. And I think most normal people would look at that and go, yuck, that's just sick. That's just not right. And I think they're right. So there you go. That's your kind of your bizarre uh, call, your bizarre story um, for the week. Uh, let me get to a little more serious topic here. And this is almost it's about time category. This is a piece by David Reevely, um out of the sun. And the headline is even tougher penalties for distracted distracted driving coming to Ontario. You know what? I do not understand. And it, you and this even goes back to before we had cell phones. Most cars today. Now I get it. Not everybody drives a new car. Some people drive what they can afford, and they're not always brand new. You know, there's lots of people out there trying to get by on a shoestring budget. And making payments on a car that probably should have been towed off to the scrapyard, or buying what's the you know what's the term the old beater to get them through the winter, whatever. So for them, this isn't an issue. I'm talking about cell phones and driving and all that stuff. I wear a Bluetooth. As a matter of fact, I'm out charging. It's out being charged right now, and sometimes I feel like a cyborg. But for as much as possible. I use that when I'm driving. For some reason, I can't get my phone to sync with with um, my wife's little car. Hers does, but for some reason, I just and I just haven't pursued it enough to be able to do it. And one of these days, I'll just bite the bullet and actually sit down, take the manual, and go through and do it. And then I don't even need the Bluetooth. But today, it's so easy. Like the Bluetooth is forty bucks. You put it in your ear. You connect it to your phone. And with voice command, like S-Voice, if you have the, the Samsung, I don't know what it's called in other applications, but uh, I can just say, I can press the ear the earpiece and, and it'll beep twice and I'll say, call Fred. And the phone will do, uh, it'll, it'll say, do you want to call Fred? Yes, I want to call Fred. Okay. And it calls Fred for me. Now, <clears throat> when I'm done, I can text. It'll read emails to me. It'll do everything I can do. Uh, it'll navigate, search the net, everything I need to do with a cell phone while I'm driving without ever having to touch the phone. That technology is readily available. So I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for people who refuse to use it. Especially if you can wire it, you can run it through your car so you don't even need the Bluetooth. There is no reason to use a handheld device while you're driving. The Ontario government wants to start suspending the driver's licenses of people caught texting at the wheel and jailing drivers who kill people while driving carelessly, Transportation Minister Stephen Del Duca announced Wednesday. Excuse me. 
The point, said the Del Duca, is to keep the most vulnerable road users, including pedestrians and cyclists, safe. How about we just keep everybody safe? Why do they? And it, never mind. I don't want to get into that. But the bottom line here is that distracted driving, using a cell phone, is so engrossing that it is, I would say, it's even more dangerous. And I'm not trying to be, make light of drink, drinking and driving, but I think it's even more dangerous than that. Because at least if you've had a few, your eyes are on the road and your hands are on the wheel. You might not be at your best, okay? And I'm like, don't get me wrong, I'm not condemning, I'm not condoning drinking and driving under any circumstances. But I'm just amazed um, how people just get so absorbed in that little device in their hand. They forget they're driving 60 miles an hour down the highway in a 2,000-pound car. Okay? <laughs> you're talking about 120,000 pounds of kinetic energy that you're responsible for. So if you drift from one lane to another and cause an accident, you should be held responsible. And it should be, the penalties are, should be very, very severe. Even more severe than drinking and driving. Because you are not, you don't even have the excuse of being drunk. You don't even have that. And yet here we are with people continuously running around as if, they're in an office. Now, look, when I'm out on the roads, my car is my office, too. I get it. I understand that in today's world, every minute counts and time is money. All right? So if you can do things while you're driving, because really driving is just sitting in an easy chair with wheels until you get to where you're going, unless you're doing it for fun, right? If you're on a racetrack or something, that's different. But I'm talking about just commuting. So if you're going from home to the office and you can make a couple of quick phone calls on the way there to set your day up or deal with issues that you, you know, it's just being more productive. I get that. But you have to remember you're still responsible for the vehicle you're in and the people around you. So I have absolutely no sympathy for people who get caught using their cell phone while they're driving. I don't have any sympathy for people who are, uh, you know, I have a friend, and I won't mention the name because I don't want to get uh, myself in trouble, but one of the most terrifying rides I ever took was with a friend. And I was in the back seat. My wife was in the front. And this friend was turning and talking to my wife. And if you take the drive at 100% of the trip, okay, 90% of it, the friend's head was turned looking at my wife and talking to her talking to her while my friend's hands were on the wheel. I was in the back on the floor thinking I was going to die because the friend had to continuously jerk the car back onto the road. It was the worst case I, I when we got there where we were going, I said I am not getting back in that car. I am never driving with them again. I am not putting my life or yours at risk again like that. Because the friend had no clue how close, how many times they, she almost drove off the road. It's just, never mind other traffic. 
You know, it was a miracle we got where we were going without anybody getting killed, maimed, or injured. So when it comes to distracted driving, there's no sympathy for me from me uh, when it comes to that. And I know what it is to spend hours and hours and hours in in the cab of a truck or in a car, and you sit there thinking, "Geez, I could be doing a million things." But your job, you know what? One of the things that Navy taught me. I had a real issue. Like we'd go to sea, and I didn't see the. I, I was an engineer, and I was, you know, I, I loved the work. But we'd go to sea, and I'd, I'd be thinking about what I could be doing ashore, and it never occurred to me that my job was to go to sea with that ship, and make sure that ship operated as at as close to peak efficiency as humanly possible, and the the trip itself was what I was there for. The work alongside the dockyard mates could have done. My job was to be a ship's member of the ship's company and to go to sea and to do whatever it took to keep that ship in fighting trim. Maintaining the equipment, running the equipment, doing whatever I had to do to make sure that, that ship could do what it was designed to do. And it's the same thing when you're driving. You can't, when you get behind the wheel, you have to accept the fact that the most important thing you're going to do right now is control that vehicle safely down the highway. That's what's missing. Too many people don't put enough value or don't understand the responsibility. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. They don't understand the responsibility of actually having people uh, being responsible for not only themselves, but for their passengers and the people around them in, their, in the other vehicles. And that's why I have no sympathy for these people. So anyway, so I think Mr. Reedley is quite, quite right. And not you're never gonna you're not gonna hear me very often talk about the the wind government in in glowing or flattering terms, and I'm not going to do it this time. But I am going to say, even a blind hog finds an acorn once in a while. They got this one right. This is something that should have been done a long time ago. And the tragedy is that far too many people have overlooked this, and we have to go to these extremes. Uh, let's see. Now uh, let's see. Uh, see if okay. Uh, driving recklessly can be a violation of separate provincial and federal laws, which dish out separate penalties. Dangerous driving causing death is a federal crime that can theoretically bring a 14-year prison term. In extreme cases, there is another federal charge, criminal negligence causing death, for which the maximum sentence is life in, prisons. in prison. These charges are rarely laid. Uh, let's see. The new legislation, which Del Duca promised he'll present this fall will hike the minimum fine for distracting driving again from three to five hundred dollars that's probably a first offense and raise the maximum fine for subsequent offense yeah for first offense for subsequent offenses repeat offenders could have to pay as much as three grand it's also it also adds automatic driving suspensions of three days for a first offense seven days for a second and 30 for a third he, he will also increase the fines for driving through crosswalks with pedestrians in them, failing to yield to pedestrians and create a new provincial offense for careless driving causing death, which would come with a two-year jail term, term and a fine of up to $50,000. I don't know. I'll tell you, man, these people who, who just are completely oblivious, they think that when they get in that little steel box with wheels, the rest of the world just disappears. And Marin uh, is just sharing a little an anecdote here. She says, I had that reaction when, I got, when, we got, 
when we got a ride from Ironpire to Ottawa in Little Mini Cooper going 80 mile an hour most of the way on the old highway. Yeah, you know what? Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that uh, I've always done exactly the speed limit, but if you're on a two-laner, that's way too fast. <sighs> All right, let's, uh, well, oh, i got to take another co quick commercial break when I get back. Uh, what do we bring up next? Oh, yeah, we'll go back to Trudeau for a minute because he wants to talk about UN Security Council seats, and I've got some things to say about that. You listen to this, and we'll be right back. Cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them council sent you. That'll make them smile. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. Let's take a phone call. Hello, who am I talking to? Welcome to the Good Night Show. Mike. It's Hi, Mike. Mike. I had a feeling. I'm beginning to recognize your number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the secret. Um, I've got a slightly different take on the whole distracted driving thing. Um, and, you know, it's, it's even, even now that I think things through a little differently in terms of government and how we police things, you know, even the MAD, the ride programs and such that, that pull over everybody and make them establish that they're not actually breaking the law, I don't, I'm not in favor of that anymore. I don't agree with it anymore. I think what we're doing is, you know, like even these, I, I take it these laws that are meant to uh, increase the punishment for people caught so-called distracted driving but when an actual accident happens, what do we do? Nothing. We, we let them get away with slaps on the wrist. Um, you know, like, for example, take, take drunk driving. Every time some idiot drunk driver does a wild accident, hurts and kills somebody, what do they want to do? They want to lower the limit. But is the guy that just caused the horrible accident like driving at a at that low of a level and caused all this no he's usually like 35 times over the dang limit so how does lowering the limit do anything to protect people how does more ride checks protect anybody those people are still getting through and why is that guy and every time we get one of these cases it's like the 10th time how can you how can you kill somebody by reckless driving intoxicated and actually hurt and kill somebody and you're you're out to be able to do this more than one or two times i don't i don't understand the repeat offenders like this 
So there's something really wrong with our system. We don't, when they actually do harm, we do very little to punish or to stop them from getting behind the wheel of a car again. That's my problem. I wish we would, we would do something about that. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I think, though, that in this particular case, this is a situation where, um, with the drunk driving laws, look, I, I get the, the whole mad thing. Um, I'm not trying to say for a second that I support uh, drinking and driving. But no, of course not. No, nobody does. Yeah, yeah, that, that's fair to say. I think that the um, the bottom line, though, well, is no that, rational person. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of lunatics out there. I know, um, but the the bottom line is, you, there's a trade off here between public safety and personal freedom, and because well, I, I generally agree with you when it comes to things like personal freedom, but uh, at the same time, I have seen enough on the roads uh, to know that. There's sometimes you have to take a little bit of a hit there. Now I don't I don't like ride checks. I think that if somebody's going down the highway, weaving all over the place, it's certainly completely acceptable to call the police and say, "Look, I think we've got a drunk driver out here, and here's where he is, and this is what he's driving." I've done that and myself. That's, but that's probable cause, right? You've got probable cause in a situation like that. Yeah, that's that's what I'm driving at. Uh, but when it comes yeah, exactly, to- and what I'm driving at is when you pull over the whole community. You're basically telling them they now have to prove they're innocent, well, and that's yeah. where I—that's where I start having a problem. I'm all against—I I mean, no one's in favor of shoplifting, but I don't want everybody to have to be strip searched going in and out of the mall. Uh, I'm not in favor of terrorists on bomb or bringing bombs on airplanes and doing whatever they're going to do. But I don't think you need to strip search everybody uh, going through the airport. Uh, I, I don't like the idea of criminalizing the innocent first and then weeding out the, the innocent from there and being whatever's left. Yeah, it, it, just the whole, it's all backwards to me. We used to uh, look for probable cause. Like you said, if somebody is weaving all over the road, well, holy cow, maybe somebody better stop that guy. If you're seeing somebody plowing through red lights, stop that guy. Okay, Go well, get here's him. The, here's the difference. That's though. what I'm thinking. I agree with you, of course. But what I'm saying is, in this case, when you're talking about cell phones, okay, it's not a question of they might be. You can see them with their hand to their head. Like when a cop pulls you over, okay, for, for distracted driving, 99 times out of 100, it's because you're using a cell phone. And he can see you with the cell phone when you blow by weaving, or people can see you, and it's no different than calling the cops and saying, look, somebody's out here drunk, and we want you to do something about it. If you blow by a cop at 65 miles an hour, and you're on the phone changing lanes without turning your signal on, you know, and driving people off the shoulders of, onto the shoulders of the road, you don't need to guess. You know this guy is a problem. Yeah, I guess, I guess for me, too, you know, we're, we're turning it into, uh, first off, we're, it becomes like a cat in a hat book because you, there's no way we could ever possibly imagine every crazy thing somebody's going to do while they're driving the car. I've seen and heard the craziest stuff, people shaving, people are reading books and whatnot. I mean, how the heck can you do all these things and drive that car and pay attention to what's going on around you? You yeah. can't. Yeah, but, right. but, you know, do we, do we not punish them because we don't have a law that but said, well, you can't uh, operate a fax machine with your left foot while you're driving a car? I mean, yeah, that's crazy. There, there's something I, different. I, just... I hear you on all that, Mike. I hear you. I yeah. really do. And, but there's something so engrossing and so absorbing. Like, if you're driving down the road and you've got an electric razor under your chin and you're shaving because you didn't leave yourself enough time in the morning, you slept in, whatever. 
okay? Yeah. And your boss doesn't like a grizzly-looking bear walking through the door. Maybe you're in real estate. Maybe you're a lawyer. Who cares? Whatever it is. The, the point I'm making is that you can still keep your eyes on the road, okay? You still are aware of what's going on. But when you put that little square thing to the side of your head and you start talking on it, you completely zone out. And that's the difference. In all sure, those but, other but activities, you, you, that doesn't necessarily I agree. happen. I agree. But you see what they're doing. Now it's anything. Now if you're so much as picking your nose in that car, which I, maybe we should be ticketing for that. <laughs> but, like, you know what I'm saying? If you're doing anything, there suddenly becomes distracted driving. Uh, did you reach for the radio or did you reach for the thermostat? Did you, you know, were you reaching for a blinker or were you reaching for a text? It, like, I, I, just, I just think we're putting the priority in the wrong place. And your example that you gave earlier where, you know, there wasn't even a cell phone involved. The person is just completely, and I've seen people like that, that, that they, they can't focus on two things at once. Well, <laughs> that's a problem with the person, not so much the activity itself. And I'm not in favor of all these activities driving a car. I don't understand this mindset, but it, I just it's about the priorities of how to, yeah. what to do about it and when to do about it. If you really see somebody driving uh, in a way that they're waving and, and they're clearly not paying attention on the road, you stop them and you see what the heck's going on. Are you drunk? Are you? I'm driving behind people now. Do you want to see what's really going to get bad? I, I, you can smell pot coming out of cars. Oh, listen, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Oh, my God. And I mean, and, and don't tell me they're not wicked stone. We're not talking they had a beer. They're, they're not only just driving down the road with a beer. I would get you busted. They're literally smoking this, this pot stuff, and I know this stuff is way stronger than, than it used to be. I'm not a pot guy, but I'm, I'm smart enough to know that. So, That's yeah, going to be a mess. But, but again, my worry is instead of wasting resources catching everybody that touched their phone or touched their hair, I don't know, I thought you had a cell phone in your, in your hand. I guess you didn't. It was a brush. I don't know. I just don't like that. I, I just prefer that when somebody is either presenting a, pro a probable cause situation or, or, you know, they've actually had an accident, well, then you get it. We, you know, we already had laws for reckless driving or, or negligence. And we don't use that enough anymore. And, and I'd like to see real punishments for that. Then people would be thinking twice. I can't, I, I just, I can't afford to take a, a chance like that. I think people don't, people don't fear it because we're not really serious about punishing. We're, we're serious about punishing the guy who, who shaved or the guy that maybe changed the radio station and got pulled over. Um, but, but we're not serious about when something really bad happens. Right. And those laws you were talking about, the crosswalk thing, that one is you're not allowed to make, say, a right turn or, or cross through. If, it, it doesn't matter if it's four or six lanes of traffic. If that person isn't off the curb, you're not allowed to go. Well, you know how that's going to paralyze Toronto and Ottawa downtown? You can't. People are always walking right through the red. Yeah, fair enough. Mike, i got to stop you there. appreciate the call. Thanks. All right. Now, yeah, there were some good points. You know, it, it's like when when changes like this come along. I don't know if you've been watching any of the preseason uh, pre hockey. Uh, I know I have. I've seen both uh, Senators' Leafs game, and I thought the second was a much better game than the first, but it's preseason, so who cares? But one of the things that drove me nuts was the um, this new enforcing the rules on face-offs and the penalties that flow from it. It's, it's enough to drive you crazy. But and I'm tying this together this way. 
that what I think will happen with let's take this crosswalk situation. It's like jaywalking. You know, the, when's the last time anybody ever got a ticket for jaywalking? Yet it's on the books because the cops realize that they have a certain amount of discretion about what they impose and what they don't. Uh, or, you know, what, whether they're going to charge, what charge they're going to lay and what they don't. Um, <clears throat> so when it comes to crosswalks uh, in this case, you're going to see the police use some discretion about what, if they're going to, you know, how they're going to enforce this. Like if you've got, a, let's say, a crosswalk uh, across um, six lanes of traffic, three each way, are you going to expect the traffic on, let's say, the road runs north and south, and somebody's walking from the uh, south side to the north side, the traffic on the south side, to wait until they're all the way across the road and off the road on the far side before they go? Or are they going to allow them to, once they hit that middle median, are they going, that side going to go and the other side of the road wait until they get across? You know, it's called common sense, right? So I'm hoping that'll be the way this comes down. So with that, uh, just it's enough to... It can be really frustrating, and I hear what what Mike was saying. He was complaining. For those of you who couldn't hear him, he was saying, you know, we, we have laws on the books already. Do we really need another one uh, along that line? And um, whether we need it or not, we're going to get it. And I my argument is that in this case, uh, especially for not so much the crosswalks, but for the, for the cell phone use on the highways, um, I think – Anything we can do to, to get people to put that damn phone down is a good thing. All right. Now, I was talking about Prime Minister Trudeau before. The Boy King is uh, wasn't in uh, Gen- not Geneva, in New York to hear Trump's speech. Um, I don't know if he's even read it yet. I don't think he cares, which is tragic because it was a brilliant speech. And he went down, and by the way, from what I understand, even CBC didn't cover Trudeau's speech to the U.N. General Assembly because, of course, the boy king really had nothing to say. But he does have an agenda there. And here's, uh, I think, is that a Globe and Mail? Yeah, the Globe and Mail. Trudeau to make pitch for Canada seat on the U.N. Security Council. Let me share some of this with you, and then I have a question. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will be in campaign mode Wednesday as he promotes Canada's bid for a United Nations Security Council seat on the sidelines of the General Assembly in New York City. Mr. Trudeau will hold a series of bilateral meetings with the leaders of seven nations, Indonesia, Uganda, Netherlands, Ecuador, Panama, Costa Rica, Tajikistan, and Tajikistan. He will work to advance Canada's bid for a seat on the UN Security Council during his discussions, according to the Prime Minister's office. Okay, so what does he really want here? He wants a seat on the Security Council. Okay. Why? Unless you become a permanent member and you have veto status, you know, you're one of the big, you're in the big boys club, you're nothing more than a bench warmer. You're nothing more than the water boy. What difference does it make what Canada has to say if China doesn't like it? If Russia doesn't like it or the Americans don't like it, why are we wasting our time? What is driving Trudeau forward on this agenda that makes him want to have a seat at arguably the single most powerful uh, board or, or council at the U.N. 
which really isn't all that effective in the first place because every time the only the only time I can think of when we've had unanimous decisions out of um, the UN Security Council is recently against North Korea 15 to nothing was the vote okay they they sanctioned North Korea they, I think they were um, I forget what the whole thing was about but all even Russia and China voted now that didn't last very long China quickly undermined its vote within what 24 hours which tells you that's how effective the UN is anyway um, so what's the whole point well you got to remember what drives Justin Trudeau in the first place it's symbolism over substance right it's not merit it doesn't matter what we bring to the table he just wants to be sitting at it he wants his picture taken with the big boys as if he actually belongs there well, I got news for you, if you didn't already figure that out. He doesn't. He couldn't carry Trump or Putin's or any of the major world leaders' water, never mind actually sit there on an intellectual uh, level level playing field with these guys. It just, you know, they, they, when he was last at an international conference, if you remember the video, he's walking around like a little boy lost on a playground trying to find somebody to talk to. And the only person who would talk to him was Trump. And Trump gave him like 15 or 20 seconds, then turned his back on him and walked away. And Trudeau ended up shuffling his files like a little, you know, press secretary with nothing to do, waiting for the meeting to start. So Canada doesn't play a role at the United Nations, uh, certainly not like we did in the days of Lester Pearson. They just, it's just, it's a utter waste of time. Now, I believe it's Lloyd Axworthy who gets into it later. Uh, that's, who is it? Yeah, Lloyd, um, excuse me, <coughs> Lloyd Axworthy and Alan Rock jump in on this. Uh, let's see. Canada knows we have an important role to play on the world stage, and being part of the UN Security Council in 2021 will ensure that an important voice gets heard and resonates around the world. Sorry, that was Mr. Trudeau that said that. Uh, baloney. That's absolute nonsense. As part of his claim that Canada is back last year, Trudeau announced Canada's intention to seek one of the 10 rotating non-permanent seats on the UN Security Council. Canada hasn't had a seat on the body since 2000. The previous Conservative government withdrew Canada's candidacy for a seat in 2010 when it became clear it would lose to Portugal. I, You know, I, again, I go back to this idea, who cares? Why are we mincing, playing footsies with these guys? I just couldn't care less what the UN thinks of us. I certainly don't care what they think of our opinions. And it's an utter waste of time, money, and resources to be a member of this organization. So anyway, I just thought I'd throw that into the mix for you because that's I, I just get steamed when I hear about this stuff because it's more nonsense. All right, now I'm going to take a, a short little break here. But when we get back, does the name Plasco mean anything to you? And if you're not from the Ottawa area, I will explain why it should right after this. So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one. But maybe it's a good thing. 
So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to Nick at LateNightCouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at LateNightCouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold, and, and you'll be fine. night does not exist without advertisers so if you want to buy time you contact either myself jc at late night or you can contact nick if you're more comfortable with him and of course i certainly understand that you can contact nick at late night the ads are like really really cheap i mean you're gonna you're gonna love them okay you're, you're, we've, we've made them quite accessible Feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And thanks for tuning in. Now, back to Nick at Night. All right. Well... Does the name, as I asked before the break, the name Plasco, does that mean anything to you? It should. For those of you who are not from the Ottawa Valley, the reason I mention this is because this is a technology I'm very familiar with. I spent the best part of a decade working with a local company trying to get a high-efficiency incinerator here in the, uh, let's call it the Ottawa Valley, and gotten really got nowhere. We got stonewalled because of the politics involved in garbage. You wouldn't think uh, there is. You wouldn't think that garbage is um, something that with a lot of political strings attached to it. But have I got news for you? There is plenty of politics that go on behind um, that go on involved in this, and it, it really drives you crazy. Uh, so for 10 years, we did everything we could, and it just wouldn't work. And the technology that we're talking about is actually a proven technology. Now, Plasco was another player. Now, for, again, just to bring those people from out of the, outside the area up to speed, Plasco made a promise to Ottawa City Council that they would give them a percentage of the profits for every system that they sold if they could have some land uh, to set up their test system out at Trail Road, which is the local city dump. Uh, it's one of the biggest biggest dumps in, that the city has. So 
<clears throat> they tried it and they tried it and they tried it and they tried it and it just wouldn't work. They couldn't make it work and eventually it died. Uh, the stake in the heart was when the city, uh, the, the uh, state of California said this is not uh, green technology and that killed any prospect of being able to sell it overseas, which effectively killed the, the whole program. Now, the reason why it failed is because, and I'll, I'm not going to get too technical on this, but within the system, there is something, uh, there is a very, uh, it, but what, what, what his system does is it takes syngas, it creates syngas by burning, uh, this, consuming the garbage and producing this gas. Okay, it's, it's done through the same process. I'm trying to think of the name of it now. Um, that they used to smelt aluminum. Okay, so the metal at the burner is has to take 10,000 degrees C uh, uh, Celsius heat. And that metal is extremely exotic and very expensive. The gas produced through the process is very corrosive. He used to run his generators a set of internal combustion engines that ran off this syngas, like rather than diesel or gasoline. Uh, he used this. The problem with that was syngas is very corrosive, and they didn't know how long the engines would be able to last. So there were all kinds of different technical problems built into the system that they just couldn't overcome. The amount of energy it took to run the plant consumed most of the energy that it produced. It's called sacrificial energy. So the sacrificial energy was too high in the plant. Now, at the same time, there's another technology that doesn't do it that way at all. It was very high, um, high efficiency. It was uh, a vortex technology, totally consumed all the garbage, and anything that was left over was ended up encased in glass. You know, like when you drink out of a lead crystal, uh, a crystal glass, there's lead in the glass, but you don't get lead poisoning. That's because glass has a very unique feature, and that is it does not crystallize when it changes state. Like if you take water and you freeze it, you get ice, and it's opaque. You can't see through it because it's full of crystals. That's also a purifying process, by the way. Glass doesn't do that. If you take it from a liquid to a solid, it stays clear. Okay, same thing when you reverse the process. So that allows it to encase, to, to hang on to things, the impurities that are in it, rather than expel them like you would with when water freezes, as an example. So this was the technology we were trying to get in place. So now it turns out that Plasco is, if I can just go to the this, this story here. Doo, 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 uh, <laughs> I'll find it. Here it is. Okay. So Plasco is resurrecting itself. And uh, let's see if I can share a little bit of this with you. Uh, a company once hailed as the future in waste management for the city of Ottawa is trying to reestablish itself as a player in the green energy industry after burning through more than $300 million in its unsuccessful first attempt. Plasco is trying to make a comeback. Now calling itself Plasco Conversion Technologies Limited, the company is taking a new approach to its business and differentiating itself from its earlier days as Plasco Energy Group. While it's, pairing, while it's pairing back on its grand aspirations, the company's founder says he still believes in the technology. None of this changes. The reason why I mention it 
is because what this does is it tarnishes the reason why this is important and significant is when companies like this come along and they're unsuccessful. Now, don't don't get me wrong. I understand that that innovation sometimes takes a lot of like there's the old story about Edison in creating what was something like well over a thousand light bulbs. Now that didn't work before he figured out how to make one that did. Okay, uh, but the problems in this we already know what they are, and there's been no attempt to rectify them. So what I'm trying to figure out is why. Now the owner of this company is called Rob Bryden, and I'm not casting dispersions on Mr. Bryden at all. I'm just saying that I wonder, you know, what's what's his motive here because he knows it doesn't work. He knows it, set up as it is, it won't work. And yet he's still trying to find a way to um, make this thing fly. It's like trying to fly a torpedo. You know, no matter how fast it goes, it's not coming, off the, it's not coming out of the water. It just isn't going to work. So I just thought I'd bring that to your attention because it's one of those stories that I thought this story was dead three or four years ago, and here it is again. So on one hand, I will commend his um, determination but given the history of Plasco and some of the other ventures Mr. Bryden's been involved in, I wonder why people would want to go down the investment road. Now, there's no accounting for that, and I'm not suggesting you should or should not in invest in these things. But I know it's not something I would be looking to put any money into. Not that I have a whole lot to put into something like that anyway. But So it just makes me scratch my head when I see that story. So anyway, I thought I'd mention it. Now... Uh, Chance is still playing with my, so I got to steal the mouse for a minute there, Chance, because I have to move on to the next story. Okay, now, this story, I just don't understand. Here, you know the mouse back. Um, okay, people are getting really, really thin-skinned these days. Somebody got called, oh, a most terrible name. And Gary Ritz made the, oh, the, made the huge mistake of calling the environment minister in the liberal government, uh, let's see, Catherine McKenna, I knew the name, I just had to find it, called her Climate Barbie. <laughs> now, I thought it was rather kind of funny. Okay, now, it's hardly there. Let's face it, there's a lot worse things somebody could be called than Climate Barbie. That is a bit of a disparaging remark, but come on, Really? Conservative MP Jerry Ritz has apologized for referring to Environment Minister Catherine McKenna as Climate Barbie on Twitter, a nickname with origins in the far-right news, uh, news website, The Rebel. You know what? <sighs> Look, whether you like The Rebel or not, they're not really all that far-right. It's just the rest of society is so far-left. <laughs> I wish they'd call CBC the far-left. You know, or or TVO or the Globe and Mail or the Toronto Star. You want to talk about far left. Although they've been doing some interesting work lately. So anyway, uh, poor old Jerry makes the mistake of calling her the most hor horrible name. Climate Barbie. Oh, we can't have that. Why not? Why? Uh, what's the big deal? I mean, <laughs> she should have just said, yeah, whatever. You know, like. These are supposed to be adults. These are supposed to be people who live for the thrust and parry of the political arena. You ever watch them in in, uh, in question period? 
This is what they find insulting? All right. Let me put my eyeballs back on, and I'll give you a little more. Before the post was deleted, McKenna responded to Ritz, tweeting, Do you use that sexist language about your daughter, mother? Oh, I should have known that was what the problem was. If she, he'd have called her climate, I can't even think of a word. You know, the climate guru, would that have been? It's because he used the word Barbie. Oh, give it a rest. I should have known. Okay, we need more women in politics. Your se your sexist comments won't stop won't stop us, uh, Miss McKenna. It wasn't supposed to stop you. It is a joke. It is something that's humorous. Come back to earth. Stop getting offended at every little thing, and maybe resign your post and go back to doing something you're good at because the climate isn't it. Although, to be fair, that we haven't had a climate minister that's actually been a real... We don't really need a climate minister because there's nothing we can do to the climate anyway. So the office is bogus no matter who holds it. So you should just be thankful you've got a phony baloney job to quote Mel Brooks. You know, oh, Catherine, we got to do something to save our phony baloney jobs. That's paraphrasing uh, Blazing Saddles, I think that line comes from. But anyway, so she gets all offended... <laughs> Oh, man. What would what would she do if he called her a really nasty name? Like, a, you know, a really disparaging name, like Sweetie Pie or, or something like that. You know, what would she do then? Would she sue him? Would she? Oh, brother. This is just a great idea. And, of course, then there's a, a whole firestorm about it. As a social media firestorm burned, McKenna thanked supporters for defending her and retweeted a post from Canadian Olympic Penny. Oh, God. Alexiak that urged followers to please treat people kindly. <laughs> so Jerry comes out and he says, I apologize for the use of Barbie. It's not reflective of the role ministers play. Well, a plastic doll that usually resides in a tiny little dollhouse gets dressed up by other people and is used by little girls to create a fantasy world around, isn't really that much of a stretch from what the climate minister is. A totally imaginary, you know, um, scenario uh, that's as phony as any dress or, or dollhouse you'd stick Barbie in. I can see the similarities. I, I don't see anything to apologize for. Like, if that had been me, I simply would have said to Catherine... Grow up, you know, get a pair. No, well, maybe not that, but just like only you would think that was sexist or something like that. Just say, I'm not apologizing, nor would I. No, sorry. It's time for you to be a big girl and stop, stop whimpering at every little comment somebody might make, because how do you go about your daily affairs if that's what you have to worry about? Okay, so there's that. Now. Uh, we'll dive into this. Uh, there's an interesting story in the commercial side of things uh, about Toys R Us. Now, they're they're claiming they're they're the largest toy retailer in the world, and I think this is one of the stories. And when I posted this on Facebook, I said that there's more to this than meets the eye, and I didn't mean anything nefarious by that. I don't think there's any kind of cabal trying to take down toy stores. I think it's just the changing attitudes and 
the changing way that the world looks at uh, uh, consuming goods, uh, the marketplace is what I'm trying to say. You've got here situations where um, stories are stores. I'm sorry, have to change to meet the um, the new reality of the marketplace. Like if you were to go back 150 years to the turn of the last century, cars were a novelty. Uh, they weren't mass produced. Uh, let's take it back 200 years, just to um, where would that put us? 150 years ago. Let's make it 100 just to be keep it even. I'm trying. What I'm thinking about that era about 1900, when cars are just coming on the scene. People were still using a lot of horse and buggies. Um, you know, uh, buckets were still made out of oak. Uh, all kinds of things. We were just in the transition from that really agrarian society into a more urban one through the Industrial Revolution. So when cars came along, um, at first it didn't have much of an impact. And I think there's a parallel here between the Internet and, and online shopping and uh, conventional shopping and the changeover in the way that we moved around in 1900 through the 19, you know, from 1900 to 1910, 1920, and so on, through that 20 to 30 year period when we saw massive changes in the way people got around. Mass transportation became available to the common man in a way it had never been available before. Today, we look at uh, commerce and the ability to buy anything, anywhere, anytime we want it is now available to us in ways that it just never was before. And it's growing by leaps and bounds. And some uh, retailers are leading are leading the pack. Some are in the middle of the pack, and some are falling behind. I think Toyos or Us is one of them. So the analogy works like this in the, in, in the days of the old horse and buggy. Uh, if you're a buggy manufacturer and you see the horseless carriage come out, at first you don't take it seriously. Nobody like now who now you got to have a horse because what happens when that breaks down? Well, over time they get better and they stop breaking down as much. And people say, Hey, I don't need to have the horse and the hay in the barn, and I don't need to have the livery stable, I don't need to, you know, take care of this animal the way that I used to have to. I see this little horseless buggy, I just get in, I cr give it a couple of cranks up front, jump in, and away I go. You know, it speeds the horse can't match. You know, all of a sudden I'm doing twice as fast as a horse could do. And they begin to uh, shift over. So as the buggy manufacturer, if you don't keep up and say, okay, I'm going to start making a few of these things myself and see if this market's for real or whether it's just a fad. Anybody who didn't do that shortly was out of business. And I think that's what's happening with, with companies like Toys R Us. They didn't make the transition. They didn't make the, um, the switch over to uh, the modern marketplace. And I think that's what's happening here. We've got a bunch of people out there who are saying, oh boy, uh, no matter what I want to do here, we don't have the ability to uh, keep, keep pace with uh, what's going on. And now we're, we're, we're paying the price for that. So that's my take on it. I'd be very curious to hear... Uh, hear what you have to say about it uh, you can call me about as always at 343-700-4390-844-562-4390 uh, time to take a quick break pay a few bills and we'll be right back after this on the naked night show
EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the Greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. He's an unidentified flying object. You will see him in the Now, let's dive back into a new topic. This one um, is a little more serious. Although, you know what? The way the marketplace is changing, um, they're all serious. There's no doubt about that. Uh, okay, hang on to that thought while I go back to there. All right. Uh, where did I have that story? Here it is. Now, we have a situation uh, last week. And this is dated, man, September 16th. There we go. I just have to put my eyeballs back on. All right, now, there is a senator by the name of Lynn Bayak who actually floated an idea. Now, some people like it, some people don't. But the problem is, it wasn't within the narrative. And this is why I'm really having some problems lately with Andrew Scheer. This comes from CTV News, and the headline is Sheer Not Ready to Remove Senator Lynn Bayak from Caucus. Now, that sounds fine. The trouble is, he wasn't ready to defend her either. Conservative leader Andrew Sheer is not ready to remove Senator Lynn Bayak from Caucus, despite her coming under fire for her suggestion that First Nations people give up their status cards. Shear said Bayek no longer has a role in the Conservative caucus, but didn't elaborate on what that means and stopped short of saying he'd take action to remove her. Okay, first of all, since when is it a sin or a crime to state an opinion? And a senator, you know, what? What? I, I don't understand how that's supposed to make any sense. Like, this, I guess, goes to the heart of the whole free speech thing, doesn't it? Because you've got a situation where somebody comes out with, an, with a, uh, an opinion that may be not all that popular, but I think is worth kicking around. The, I, I wouldn't look at somebody and say, how racist, how terrible. Say, no. Um, I would look at that and say, well, what do you mean by that? 
and engage in a conversation to find out what that what she had in mind. Now, if she comes out with some lunatic ideas, all right, but at least give her the opportunity to express herself, to say what's on her mind and explain what she means. Because there's a lot of times what happens is people get shot off at the knees and they don't want to actually go any further with their conversation where, have you ever started a conversation where you start out and you say, the, I do it all the time, just listen to this show. You know, you start out a conversation and you say, no, that's not really what I'm trying to say. And if you don't have the time to elaborate because you're too worried about what you just said, that somebody's going to take offense, you're never going to get the, the your point across and people will take you out of context. I think it's just this is why Andrew Shear should have should have come to her defense, and say, look, this is a free country. She is a senator. And if she wants to float an idea, let's listen to it. If you don't like it, fine, you don't have to. If I don't like it, fine, I don't have to. But the idea of actually having uh, somebody censured for coming up with an idea or floating an idea that is worthy of discussion. She's not talking about, you know, uh, some kind of beam them all up to Mars somewhere or anything like that. She's not talking about anything dangerous or, or I, 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 I don't really know quite how to phrase it. All she said was, maybe they should hand in their status cards. In other words, if you read between the lines, what she's saying is maybe they should come out and come off the reservation and join the rest of the planet in the 21st century because there's a lot more opportunities for them out there than there are by remaining a status card-carrying Indian or native. Is that that outrageous? Is it any rate? Look, why is it we want to? The only thing that works, the only thing we can talk about is the status quo. Like, if you get an opinion from a doctor, let's say he says, you know, I hate to tell you, but leukemia is going to be a good friend of yours very, very quickly. Or not a good friend, but a, something you're going to have to live with. Doesn't it make sense you say, yeah, okay, um, maybe I'll go get a second opinion. Would you do that? So just because somebody comes up with an idea that, that you don't happen to like, okay, doesn't necessarily mean it isn't worth talking about. They're allowed their opinion. They're allowed to be able to speak their minds, whether we like it or not. And I don't see anything wrong with what she said. I just think that Andrew Scheer is playing politi the political correct game, and that's the last thing we need. And I've had enough of political correctness, and I don't want it out of the PC. Uh, yeah, maybe that tells you something. Uh, the CPC leader, uh, Andrew Scheer. It's just, you know, what, what does it take to get away from this stuff? Why can we not just dump the whole thing? I have no answer for that. So I just thought I'd bring that to your attention and point it out. Now, this is another head-scratcher story. I do not understand this. I, I'm just an old fossil, I guess. This comes uh, from the Washington Times, dated August 13. Oh, it's a year old. I think I knew that, but it's just, it's so ridic ridiculous. I had to bring it. I had to bring it. If you haven't already heard it, um, I'd be interested to find out what the status is of this. 
being a year old. Has it actually gone to court yet? I don't know. Anyway, this is by Richard Berman. And the headline is, When Pigs Sue, Activists Seek Animal Personhood in Kangaroo Courts. Well, that should tell you a lot. People are animals too. People are animals too, goes refrain from animal rights activists trying to morally equate people and animals. Animals are people too, is what their liars are now arguing. A new HBO documentary shines a light on an issue that most of us would take as seriously as Pee Wee Herman giving legal rights to animals. Titled Unlocking the Cage, the film follows animal rights lawyer Steve, Stephen Wise into his long-standing quest to gain legal personhood for animals. Don't laugh it off so quickly. For decades, animal rights activists have sought to gain legal personhood for animals. Recently, they've argued that if corporations can have personhood, so can animals. That's not what personhood for corporations is about, by the way. It's about the if, if a corporation is deemed uh, a person in the eyes of the law, then they can be sued. That's why, anyway. This just stuff just, you know, as anybody who knows me will know, I have a very agrarian sense of animals. I love animals. I really do. Uh, I've got more than my fair share. Some of them are uh, pets. Some of them are animals we use in business. Some of them, uh, <clears throat> some of them are food. But none of them are human. None of them have human status. If it came to it, if I absolutely had to, I would kill every single animal on my farm to save a human life. There is no moral equivalency between animals and humans. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't think grandma ought to have her kitty, you know, her lap or her lap dog. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about making a choice between human beings and animals. Which one lives, which one got, which one doesn't. If it ever came down to a life-saving situation where I could only save if I had to save a uh, you know, uh, a 54 or a 50-year-old man from going over Niagara Falls or a six-month-old lab puppy, I'm saving the man because I can always get another lab puppy, but there's only, you know, sorry, it's it, it would just be a bad day to be a puppy, okay? That's um, That's just the way it is. That's the way I feel about it because if not, then think about the consequences of making that leap if human beings and animals are equal then how can we take pigs to slaughter like the two i have in my pig shed at home that are on their way to the slaughterhouse within the next month or so the whole reason we got them was be able to raise them to a point where they were large enough that we could take them to the slaughterhouse and bring them back wrapped in brown paper and have pork chops and all kinds of things that come from pigs Okay, that's why we got them. Now, they have lived a very comfortable life. They have not been mistreated. As a matter of fact, there's days I think they have a better life than I do. Well, at least in the short term. But, uh, you know, no lack. they don't lack for food. They don't lack for water. They've got a, a, a shed to sleep in. They're out of the bugs. They're out of the heat. Um, we don't ask anything of them. They don't have to work every day. You know, I, they, they live for as short as their life is the life of Riley. So I don't think I'm mistreating my animals at all. But make no mistake, if I had to choose between you and those pigs, you win every time. Every time. It, you can see that reflected in my attitude about dogs. I've got three dogs at home. I love them all. You know, Lacey, Sam, and Willie. 
Willie's just a goof. I love Willie. He's a great little dog. Uh, Lacey, she's my dog. She's a Border Collie, one of the most laser-focused animals I've ever seen in my life. Uh, being a Border Collie, that's not surprising. And Sam's just an old mutt. I mean, Sam has been around for, I think he's 13 or 14 now. And I kind of call him the whiny old man because every time uh, he wants in, he just sits there by the door and whines. Or if uh, uh, a lightning storm comes along, he will tear the house down to get in. And he's a real hero until there's thunder and lightning. But I would get rid of them all. I would kill them all if it meant saving a human being. Now, I don't ever want to have to do that. I'm not saying it's something I would enjoy. So... This is why when I hear this kind of stuff, it just makes me go nuts because the idea of giving animals a status of personhood, think of the, what we would lose. No more zoos because that would be cruel and unusual punishment. You would have to be a vegan, never mind a vegetarian. Uh, just the, the, the utter chaos that would reign in our society if we ever did that. So let's hope that never has to happen. All right. Time to take another quick break, and when we get back, we'll have more right after this. ...to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money... And headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. Okay, welcome back. Before I get into the next topic, I just wanted to share with you, my wife and I were watching a movie the other night, and it was one of the most, one of the best movies I think I've seen in a very long time. It's called Hidden Numbers. And if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to, I'm going to do my best not to spoil it for you. But you need to watch that movie. The story revolves around um, a group of black women. The, the year is 1961. And the space race is really heating up. Sputnik has just been launched. Uh, Yuri Gagarin uh, is uh, in the movie, uh, is the first human being in space. The Americans are behind the eight ball. And NASA has been tasked by the president, John F. Kennedy, to get them, into the, to get them back into the lead of the space race. So that's the whole the background of the movie. And these black ladies are what they call computers. It's where we get the term, actually. And their job is to crunch numbers. 
and they're brilliant mathematicians. But of course, in NASA, or in, in uh, the southern United States in 1961, racism was a huge problem. Segregation was something they had to deal with. And they have to, the whole movie is set about the challenges these, these women face and what they had to do to overcome them, uh, what the reaction of the uh, institution was towards them, and how, you know, just how everything played out. I'm doing my best not to give anything away, okay? Uh, but I'm telling you, one of the most interesting parts of the movie uh, was when they got their first computer. Like, we take computers for granted. And by computer, I don't mean a person in this case. I'm talking about an actual, it was an, it was an IBM. The thing took up a whole room. It took them six weeks to set it up. It was just ridiculous. This this thing was just, uh, if you think about it, you remember the old 1940s switchboards where you, you'd call the operator and say, operator, give me BR549 or something like that. And she'd pull a, a plug out of pull the the pin out of one socket and move it over and plug it into another one. Think of that, but on a scale like to the factor of ten. Okay, that's what the back of this machine looked like. Anyway, so they to see that, and then you look at my laptop here in front of me has more computing power than that thing did. Keep this in mind when you're talking about advancing in technology. The Apollo 13, whatever the first Apollo mission was that landed on the moon, the lunar lander, had about the same computing power as a calculator. That's what they landed on the moon with. What One of the things that we were talking about watching this movie, uh, my wife and I were just amazed at, because we a lot of it, I guess one of the reasons why it was interesting was because there's been a lot of talk in the news lately about this whole, um, you know, the way the new way they're teaching math today, and how it's failing our kids. Then you go back to 1961, before you had handheld calculators, like what they called a calculator was actually a great big honking adding machine where you press all the numbers and pull the handle. Okay, for those of you old enough to remember those. But they would do long division, all kinds of mathematical equations with a pencil and a paper. Thousands of them, tens of thousands of them a day. And then hand them off to the NASA scientists for a whole host of reasons. Excuse me. And it was remarkable to watch how fast these women could compute this stuff in their heads as they're going through it. And when they were doing, when they got into the, uh, into the space program proper and they were doing calculations where all the scientists were working, they were using chalkboards and actually getting up on ladders and writing out these long equations so the whole board was full. And they'd have to circle the part that was the answer so it would stand out. And just like, holy mackerel, they think about what they accomplished. They they got uh, rockets that stopped exploding uh, because of factors they had to figure out when when the Redstone rocket, which was one of the first ones they tried to put uh, a capsule on, just kept exploding halfway up, you know, off the pad, and one failure after another. They had to figure out what was going on. Why was it exploding? Well, 
when you've got a ball of fire and flaming bits and pieces, it's not like you can read back the black box because they didn't have them then and figure out what went wrong. Okay? They had to actually do some math and figure out what was going on just before it happened, look at the trajectories and speeds and all bunch of other things, and all of it done by hand. All of it right here in their head. These people were brilliant. So I encourage you to watch that movie if you get a chance because, man, I'm telling you, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I certainly hope that uh, you guys enjoyed it as well. You guys enjoy it too when you get a chance to see it. You won't regret it. It's Part of the other reason that I enjoyed it was it shows that no matter what obstacle gets thrown in front of people, be it racism, be it you know discrimination of any kind or physical obstacles, um, you know, through either handicap or, you know, geography. Mankind is a very, very resilient race. And given a problem, they always figure out a way to overcome it. They always do. And the reason that we do is because the, the, the evidence of that is the fact that we're still here. By the way, I thought I posted this. I didn't see it in my list of um, stories. Let me see if I can find it real quick. There is a... Oh, that's something else i got to get to, too. Okay. Um, let's just scroll down. According to a group of uh, Scientologist Christians, I think is what it is, if I can just find it real fast. Uh, yeah, no, that's not it. I don't even think I'm... Yeah, I am. Let me go here. Um... The world is going to end tomorrow. <laughs> and I will admit I had to laugh. Uh, what make, here, is that it? Yeah, Christian numerologist. Here it is. Okay, let me bring that up. I had to laugh when I read this. Okay, uh, let's see. If you had plans for the weekend, a Christian numerologist says you won't get to them because the world is about to end. David Mead, a self-proclaimed researcher, is predicting that a series of apocalyptic, ap apocalyptic events will begin on September 23rd. A major part of the world will not be the same. <laughs> what, are they going to do a recount and get Hillary reelected? Elect re According to Mead, the mysterious rogue planet Nibiru, Nibiru is also known as Planet X, is on a collision course with Earth, which will bring world-ending tsunamis and earthquakes. The numerologist claims... The dates of recent events like the Great American Solar Eclipse and Hurricane Harvey's flooding of Texas were all marked in the Bible. Meade now says his planet X theory lines up with more Bible codes and ancient markers on the Egyptian pyramids. Oh boy, have we got a loony here. Look, the thing I like about this is it's fun. Uh, now, I will be the first to admit, there is a chance, albeit a very small one, that this guy will get it right that the world will end on Saturday. But keep this in mind. Every person who ever predicted the end of the world has been wrong. <laughs> Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. So I don't put a whole lot of stock in these people. I, there was a TV evangelist I used to... Uh, was it? No, it wasn't Benny Hinn. Jack Van Impey. Uh, back in the 90s, I think, leading up to Y2K. Oh, man. If you watched him, you were sure it was all going to end tomorrow. Now, Y2K was the end of the world. And he, 
not only him, but a lot of people were convinced of that. There were people who gave up their life savings to buy food and survival equipment, moved off into the mountains to survive this huge coming crash, and all the computers in the world stopped working on uh, January uh, midnight on December 31st, 1999. I don't know. I certainly remember that. Now, there was a very simple test that most people ignored because they were too busy being afraid. All you had to do was take your clock on your computer and advance it past that date. And if it kept working, because the computer doesn't know, if you set it to January 2nd, 2000, and your computer didn't crash, then there's no problem. I know a, a few people did that, but a lot of people got caught up in the hysteria. And I remember people spending fifty, dollars $100,000 on buying non-perishable food and setting up you know, camps in the wilderness and all this kind of nonsense uh, to survive the, the, the end of the world, this apocalyptic event, apocalyptic event. And it was funny. Well, actually, a lot of people got caught up in it. And there's, um, <laughs> it, it, I'm not trying to mock them because fear is a powerful motivator. But at the same time, it was uh, something I don't think anybody's going to forget anytime soon. So now this Christian this uh, Christian numerologist comes along and says, yep, Saturday's it. We're all done. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> so uh, don't you worry. If the world ends on Saturday, we'll be here next Wednesday to tell you about it, okay? So we'll have full coverage next Wednesday on the Nick at Night Show of the world ending on Saturday night. Oh, yeah, yeah, Every, and everything's going to end the world. It's it's funny how many times you see tragedies uh, happening over and over again. Now, there is something I do want to tell you about. There's a liberal I want to give credit to. I know, I know, don't laugh. I'm actually being serious. Where is the story? If I scroll up, here it is. Now, this is a Facebook post from his Facebook page. Let me just blow it up so I can read it, because otherwise it gets ugly. Slide it over that way. All right. Now, this guy, uh, let's see, is known as, his name is Wayne Long. He's a liberal member of parliament for St. John Rothsay, uh, and he posted on Facebook, this is dated September 17th, so on the 16th of September, that he can no longer support the tax reforms for incorporated businesses that are being proposed by the federal government. His comments came only hours after he was present at an information session organized by the St. John Region Chamber of Commerce. Before a packed room of more than 150 people, several area business people stood up and urged him to oppose the proposed changes. As a former business entrepreneur, I understand fully the risks incurred with starting, building, and growing a small business. I've lived it, Long wrote on Facebook last night. I've balanced budgets, worried about meeting payroll, collected, re collected receivables so we could all get paid. I have lived the hopes and dreams of having a business. Small business is the backbone of our economy. I believe in my heart that these proposed changes will discourage entrepreneurship and hurt the very people we want to help. I cannot support these proposals without amendments. This is difficult for me, but I know I simply can't support this as it is. You know what? This man has courage. This man is worthy of support, regardless of his party. I have a lot of a lot of respect for somebody who because remember whose party he's in. 
and I am not kidding, the Boy King does not like dissent amongst the ranks. Remember he said you could be a liberal, you could even be a Christian as long as you were pro-choice? And if you weren't pro-choice, you had no place in the liberal party? I'm paraphrasing, but that's what it boiled down to. And a lot of liberal Catholics left the party over that. Because up until then, they were free to vote as they wanted to on, on issues of conscience, and often did. But in this case, that's not the way it went. So I wanted to, to congratulate um, this liberal MP, I just get his name again, Wayne Long, um, because, man, I'm telling you, that takes a lot of guts. So well done, and I certainly hope that others follow his lead because this tax, this amendment, and the hypocrisy of our, of our prime minister. I was listening to some of the um, Fife interview and uh, when asking him about, uh, asking the prime minister about his own personal wealth, and um, he, didn't have a, he didn't have anything good to say or didn't answer any of the questions. Like, who's managing your personal wealth? Well, mine. Oh, I'm hands off. I've blind trust. Uh, numbered companies. Uh, got nothing to do with that. You know that really rings. So, in other words, he wants all the advantages of owning and operating a business, an incorporated business, because he has three of them, three numbered companies. Um, he wants that for himself, but he doesn't want people like farmers to have it. He doesn't want people like doctors to have it, lawyers to have it. You know, let's call them these upper middle class professionals. You know who are doing everything they can. They they really play a huge role in our society, and it's hard enough to make a living in this economy. But uh, to be able to sit there and say, "Yeah, I want it, but you can't have it," which is what this all boils down to, is the height of hypocrisy. And I, for one, have not really much use for it. And so when a guy like uh, Mr. Long comes along, you got to stand up and applaud him because we need a lot more people like him. There's not nearly enough people out there with his kind of courage. Certainly amongst the liberal ranks, it's too easy. Because remember what he's risking. I don't know how long he's been an MP. But once you hit the six-year mark, you've got a pension. And you've got a good pension with all the benefits for the rest of your life. Now, the longer you stay, the better that pension gets. But at six, I believe that's what it is, at six years. Uh, I'm going by memory, so if I'm out a little bit on that, I'm sure uh, the listeners will correct me. But um, as things stand in my memory, it was six six years. It's far below the private sector standard of let's say 35 or 40 years or 20 years or whatever it is. Uh, you know, it's certainly nothing like that. And the prime minister gets the best pension of them all. So. The hypocrisy of this, you know, one wealthy... And the other thing about this that really rubs me raw is you have a prime minister who's walking around with a silver spoon in his mouth, never had to worry about money in his life, never got a callus, you know, from a hard day's work, Does never had dirt under his fingernails, doesn't know what it means to be middle class, upper, lower, or otherwise. And yet he's always talking about how he's trying to get tax breaks for the middle class. Here's another news little news flash. The middle class aren't the ones paying the lion's share of the taxes. It's the upper class, the people he keeps penalizing. You know, we have this funny attitude about wealth that somehow it's bad if you if somebody has a dollar more than you do. I applaud people like that. You know, 
I like it when somebody makes a lot of money. That's good for the economy. When, when who was it? Um, a friend of mine has a 100-foot uh, luxury yacht. It's, it's a beautiful craft. Now, I don't envy him that at all. He worked hard to get it. He has a, a, you know, a long career in business. He's now retirement age, and he's enjoying the fruits of his labor. But set him aside for a minute and think about that, that well, I want to call it a ship, but it's not. It's a boat. A hundred feet of King Tut luxury. How many people did it take to build that thing? How many man hours? What were their wages? How much taxes did they pay? How many spin-off businesses were supported building that thing? You see, when we look at things like this, you know, the luxury items that some people are blessed to have. Now, what they do with them, okay, they, you know, uh, that's for debate. But when you go out, let, let's say if you went and bought a Porsche Carrera, okay, or some other high-end sports car, do you really think you should feel guilty for that if you've earned it and it, buying it isn't going to impact your ability to pay your bills? and look after your family, if you've got enough money to actually be able to afford it, why should anybody demand more of you? How many people did you employ buying it? Or let's say you buy a, a private airplane, be it a Cessna 150 or a Learjet. Who cares? Because you're employing people to build it, to maintain it, to fuel it, maybe to fly it, all these things, this is part of what makes the economy work. It's not all just people running backhoes cleaning out ditches. And there's nothing wrong with that either, by the way. That's a very important job as well. I'm just saying that the economy is more than just flipping burgers or just more than any one particular thing. It's a whole combination of enterprises that runs an economy. And Mr. Trudeau, the boy king, has no interest in applying the same laws to himself that he's now trying to force down the throats of the very people who employ the rest of us. Now, I'm really fortunate. I have a great job with a good boss, a great boss. And the reason I have it is because he was already successful. And he offered me a job, and I said, yeah, I can do that. Now, he's not the wealthiest man in the world, but he's doing pretty well. And I don't begrudge him that in the least. He's a great guy. He's got a wonderful wife. They're great people. I love spending time around them because they're, you know, they've got their heads screwed on straight. Just because he has a fatter bank account than, my, than mine doesn't mean that he's a better man than I am. There's certain things he's got figured out that I admire. It's one of the reasons I went to work for him. I just happen to like spending time around him. And the money wasn't bad. But it's getting harder and harder and harder for people to get themselves into that situation so that they can employ former talk show hosts like me. <laughs> well, I still am a talk show host, but you know what I mean. Uh, or anybody else for that matter. I've got young kids going into the marketplace, right? I've got one, two, two of them in, in uh, college. Uh, one, two, three of them in high school. Where does that put me? Five. Uh, anyway, and they're all getting ready to step out into the world. Where are they going to go to work? I've got a daughter who wants to be a finished cabinet maker. She's in Algonquin College right now. 
She's very good at what she does. She's not good enough yet to be there, but she's a lot better carpenter than I am because I, when I do carpentry, it's with a chainsaw, a sledgehammer, and a 12-inch spike. That's my kind of chain. That's my kind of carpentry. Cut her off there, knock her together, and, man, if it don't fall over, we're good. <laughs> uh, you know, I've got another one that wants to get into early childhood education. I've got a son who's a machinist. I've got another one that's involved in a whole bunch of, in, in a, a electrotechnical field. Um, you know, working for a company that puts in phone systems and mag locks and different things in retirement homes and old age, old age homes and new buildings and hospitals and things like that. Very, very niche market kind of stuff. You know, who's going to hire them? If we promote the idea of entrepreneurship, I have no idea. I really don't. So... I think that pretty much wraps it up. I was going to get into a story by Anthony Fury about why he's betting on Kathleen Wynn to win, but I think that's just too depressing to end the show on. So I will call it a night. I want to thank you all for being here. It's been a pleasure, and I certainly hope you enjoyed the show as much fun as it was. And we are hammering. We're actually making progress on the tech. You notice the technical difficulties are not the same ones we had a few weeks ago although there's still an issue with phone calls off Facebook, but we'll get there. And I hope you, I, I certainly appreciate your patience with that. And I certainly hope that you enjoy the show and uh, whether you, uh, you know, however you engage in it. Um, thank you all for being here. It's been a pleasure. And I'll sign off saying, Good evening. God bless. Don't let anything disturb your peace. And may you have a fair wind and a following sea. That air I had, I spent it in good company, and all the harm I've ever done, alas, it was to none but me, and all I've done for one time. So fill to me the parting glass. Good night and joy be to you all. So fill to me the parting glass and drink a health whatever befalls. Then gently. Softly call, good night and joy be to you all. Of all the comrades that it I had, they're sorry for my going away, and all the sweethearts that e'er I had, they'd wish me one more day to stay. Since it fell into my lot That I should rise and you should not I'll change